Hallelujah. Well, you can be seated. You made it back. So glad you're back. We had a great night last night. We're going to have a great day today. We are, are having a great day today. Last night and this morning, we've already encountered the greatest contractor, the contractor every one of us need to build the house of prayer, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he has come to help us with the building process. And so we want to continue the building process today. And this morning, I want to move us into a message, into a teaching on opening the door to Christ at home. Stephen really laid the foundation here through prayer and through revelation, through the word he brought us, because this is exactly where we're going this morning. And we started where we're going to finish. Amen. Amen. We're going to open the door to Christ this morning. Amen. We are all part of, anyone here not a part of a family? I hope not. That's been pretty strange. We're all part of families. Every one of us in this room. We all have different roles in the family. We're all uh, in different seasons and stages of life as families in this room. But we are all part of families. And so this message, this teaching, all of these teachings have huge implications for every one of us. Doesn't matter if you're 70 or 7, all of these messages on building a house of prayer have huge implications for us because we are all part of families. So I don't care what age you are, what stage of life you're in, as you've come here today, there is something, there is some nugget of truth that God wants you to take hold of today. And Fred did a great job last night of unpacking different stages of life and how God wants to impact every stage of life and how the house of prayer has implication for every stage of life. And we all need to embrace that as we learn this morning to open the door to Christ in our homes. Now, one of the most neglected parts of every prayer life is the home prayer life. If we're honest, one of the most neglected parts of every healthy prayer life is our family prayer life. We do some, most of the time, sometimes, a good job at sustaining a, a personal prayer life. Maybe we show up occasionally to church for extended times of prayer, maybe to the river every now and then. But so many of us struggle in this particular area of actually sustaining a consistent gathering in our homes and so we want to invite Jesus in because there's only a limited amount of change that's going to come through a conference or a seminar God when we encounter Christ he changes the future of our families not just a momentary change not just a little bit of change that we might get at a conference or through a book. When we encounter Christ, he changes the future of our families. And just one word can do that from Christ. And that's what we want. That's why these environments, we don't call them conferences or seminars. We call them encounters. This is an encounter with Christ. Because that's what changes the home. That's what changes the future generations. And so we want to encounter Christ today. It was 2007, and uh, I, I, I had been in a time of prayer and fasting in January, and the Lord specifically told me, I want you to go and get back involved with the College of Prayer. I had known about the College of Prayer when I was a student in college over 20 years ago, and 
and I've been introduced to it and I loved it. But I had moved on, I graduated, moved on and, and, and forgotten about it. But during that season of prayer and fasting, the Lord said, I want you to get back to the College of Prayer. And I, I was just kind of like, what? Where did that come from? And like any good Christian, I kind of put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. And, and by the summer, the Holy Spirit was like yelling at me. I told you to go back to the College of Prayer. So I got online and I saw that my friends, Mike and Lisa Plunkett, and many of you know, were actually leading a module, the College of Prayer here in Atlanta at Simpson Wood, uh, which is now unfortunately closed, but they, they were gonna be at Simpson Wood with Fred and, and leading a module on the family. We didn't have all the curriculum then and all that, but, but, I, but I knew I had to be there. I showed up and I'm telling you, God wrecked me. I mean, completely turned my life upside down in those three days. And it was all in the family. And I was so convicted. Uh, Karen and I had been married for about three years at the time. And, and I got my little red Saturn and drove as fast as I could back to Birmingham where we were living in those days. And, and as soon as I got home, I, I pulled her into the bedroom. We sat on the bed and I just began to weep. And, and I repented because I knew I had not followed obedience to the Lord to build a house. I had failed to lead my family to be a family of prayer. And I was so convicted by that. And I thank God that we didn't have kids at the time. So we began to, to, to cry together and she forgave me and, and we began to pray together. We prayed more in that first week than we had in the first three years of our marriage. And by God's grace, by his incredible grace, we have prayed together almost every single day, at least once a day since that time. Hallelujah. Only by the grace of God. But that was the beginning of building our house of prayer. And it started with repentance, as so much does in the kingdom of God, right? Amen. And Jesus wants all of us to welcome him into our daily life, into our family life. He said, just as Stephen quoted earlier, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he will eat with him. Don't miss the promise in that verse. Amen. An incredible promise. If we hear his voice, his promise is to come in. He doesn't say, I might come in. If, if the room's clean enough, if the kitchen table's clear enough, I'll come in and sit down and eat with you. Hmm. No. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you, and you will eat with me. Every time we eat, who loves eating? Anyone else? I love eating. And, and so, Every time we see food in the scripture, it's all about fellowship. Yeah. And so Jesus is promising us in the middle of our homes, he's promising us fellowship. He wants to be more than an unseen guest. He wants to be our family redeemer. He wants to be our family healer. He wants to be our family deliverer. He wants to set the tone and the pace for generations. He wants to get rid of generational sin, remove generational curses, strongholds. I wonder if we opened that door to Christ today and he came into our homes, what would he hear? 
What would he see? What would he be saying, hey, you might want to chill on that. <laughs> you might want to do more of that. What would he see if he came into our homes right now? If we're honest. What would he hear? What, do we, what would he experience? You see, right now, we are living in a day and age where the family unit is completely and wholly under attack as an institution. Do you realize that the first institution God created was the family? When he put Adam and Eve together, he put a family together. This was the, it wasn't government. It wasn't an organized nation of people. The first institution he created was the family. And it is completely and wholly under assault today. And that's not by mistake. Satan knows what he's doing. He knows this is the primary institution God gave us. The home, the family. And he is completely committed to destroying it. Today, we want to open the front door of our our homes and welcome Christ in because why? God loves the family. He loves to bless families. And the primary way God wants to bless your family is to make himself known. Tangibly, practically known. He wants to lead each of our family members into a real encounter with his presence, his power, his glory, his promises. But tragically, the last place we often encounter God is in the middle of our homes. We think maybe that that's reserved for Sundays at church. We'll we'll encounter him there. Our kids can encounter them. Or we'll send them to Wednesday if we're good Christians. We'll we'll send them to Awana and and those kind of things. And and, and we'll let the church handle that part, right? We'll let the church handle leading our kids to an encounter with God. We delegate spiritual discipleship and we delegate spiritual authority when that is not God's best. Hmm. This model of pulpit discipleship, while good, I'm telling you, friends, it is being reset in these days. You watch. The church is changing. I personally believe the church will not be the same when we get through this pandemic. And that's a good thing. God is shifting us away from just hope and discipleship. And these are the days that we have an opportunity to fling open the door to Christ and welcome his spiritual discipleship and spiritual formation right in the middle of our lives. And it begins, it begins by building a house of prayer. Yes. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice, that's prayer. That's prayer. You see, the more the maturing prayer life spends more time listening to God than speaking to God. You want to hear God's voice, you want to hear the voice of Jesus, you've got to spend time in prayer. Jesus is essentially saying, if you'll you'll pray, if you'll position yourself to hearing my voice, I'm going to come in. See, Jesus always comes to an environment where he's welcome. We need more 
than him to come in just as an unseen guest. We need him to come in and take residence. We need him to come in and be more than just a guest who, who stays for a night or two. We need a holy habitation. Spouses and families often spend more time fighting and competing with each other than they do praying with each other. This is not God's best. But I want to give us some practical tools this morning that will allow us to open the door to Christ in our homes, particularly those who find it difficult to pray. I mentioned last night that, that it can be incredibly uncomfortable to get started in this. I mean, let's just keep it real. If, if we're so used to competing and fighting in our homes instead of praying in our homes, it's going to get awkward real quick. But I want you to know God is comfortable in your uncomfortableness. And you've got to work past some uncomfortableness to get to where God is calling you. You've got to move past this religious mindset we have of prayer. Because prayer is not a religious obligation. It's a relational invitation to come into the presence of God. But there's big rewards promised for those who will open the door to God. Now more than ever, our children need to know how to pray. You see, our ability, our desire to create a house of prayer will either prepare our children for the kingdom of God or deprive our children from the kingdom of God. And I want my children to see the kingdom of God. I want them to know that Christ works as much in our home as he does in our church. I want them to know that you don't just have to go to church to pray, to encounter the power of God, that we want to see it happen right in the, the middle of our homes. The power of prayer in the home is incredibly evident. In fact, a few years ago, the Southern Baptist did a study of praying families. You know what they found? Of the couples that strategically prayed together, the divorce rate dropped from an average of 50% to less than 1%. Wow. Hmm. You want to safeguard your marriage? Pray together. Wow. Encounter Christ together. Study the scripture together. Pray the promises together. So what's stopping us from, from praying as families? What's hindering our prayer lives with our spouses, our children? What's keeping our families from encountering the presence of God together? I want to quickly give us four common barriers to prayer in our home. There's many, but these are the, really the top four that I see over and over and, and that we want to come against today. We want to stand against today. The first is unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. This is the deep cleaning uh, I think Fred was praying about a few minutes ago. We want a deep cleaning, right? Repentance is the way to receive some deep cleaning. Repentance for sin is one of God's most important requirements. And regular repentance of sin is part of every healthy prayer life. I get a little worried if, if there's something God's not convicting me on over a long period of time. Mm usually means there's some resistance or pride in it. Mm. And so 
Just like David, he said in Psalm 24, 3, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in the most high place? Those with clean hands and a pure heart who have not lifted up their soul to another. That's idolatry. We talked about that last night. And, and repentance cleanses our hands. It washes our hearts and prepares us to come into the presence. I said it a minute ago. God comes to a prepared environment. I want my environment to be prepared to host the presence of God for a holy habitation. Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that verse really scares me sometimes. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He is a holy God. It is a holy spirit. Amen. And he's looking for holiness. You see, listen, today in the church, there's a little bit of a, a, an issue, some false teaching that's taking place in the, teach, the church today. You know what it is? That God wants you to be happy. That God's best for your life is happiness. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe God wants to bless you. I believe God wants to give you the desires of your heart. But I'm telling you today, God is way more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. Your marriage is not designed to make you happy. Your marriage was designed by God to make you holy. And this is why every argument, every resistance we experience, every challenge we experience, even in our marriages, is God's opportunity to make us more like him. It's opportunity for us to see the glimpses of glory in our spouse. To welcome him to have a holy habitation because he's more concerned with our holiness than he is with our happiness. Unconfessed and unrepented of sin can block both healing and prayer in our lives. This is why we're told in James to confess our sins one to another. The marriage relationship or the family dynamics are a great place to confess sin. We already have someone there who cares enough about us to want to, to, want to hear and want us to, to, to grow. And so we have an opportunity even in our homes to confess sin. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other. I'll leave that one right there for you. <laughs> and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let me just say something about that real quick because I think we have this misnomer about a righteous person. We often think of a righteous person as a perfect person. I'm here to tell you today, a righteous person is not a perfect person. A righteous person is a persistent person. A righteous person is someone who falls down and gets right back up. It's not perfection, it's persistence. I persist towards holiness because I believe in a holy God and I desire righteousness in my life. 
So confession of sin cleanses us, releases us from Satan's grip, his accusations against us. It produces that righteousness in us, which leads to a healthy, productive prayer life in our homes. I have a great relationship with my brother. I love my brother. And, and we have this kind of relationship where we can confess to each other, where we can share with, with each other, where we can pray with each other. I need that. It's in my home. It's in my family unit. Now, the second common barrier to prayer in our homes is unforgiveness and bitterness. Unforgiveness and bitterness. In fact, I'll say this. I believe this is actually one of the most common barriers to prayer in our homes. This is one of the most common things I see when I minister to people that are affecting people's home lives. Unforgiveness and bitterness. It significantly affects our family prayer life. When husbands and wives and family members hurt each other, what do we do? Oftentimes we withdraw. We isolate ourselves. And isolation is totally Satan's desire, totally his tactic to silence prayer in our homes. That's why this is so incredibly dangerous. When family members refuse to forgive each other, for hurts and pains, what happens is this weed of loneliness and isolation begins to choke out the life in our families. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What is he saying? First of all, he's talking about the house of prayer, right? He's, he's talking about the temple. He's talking about when you come to this house of prayer, you realize that something's off, that there's some unforgiveness, that there's some bitterness happening. You need to leave what you're doing here. You need to go and be reconciled, then come back and I'm ready to meet you. That's what he's saying. Don't come to the house of God until you've dealt with your own house. Don't let unforgiveness grow and a root of bitterness come up in your home. How many of, how, of you here, how many of us here have, have suffered an offense at some point in our life? Every one of us. Every one of us has faced offense. It's a reality we all go through. But my friends, an offense is an event. Living offended is a choice. Our homes can be filled with, with bitterness or unforgiveness, or they can be filled with an atmosphere of grace and mercy and forgiveness defines who we are. Paul said in Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The third common barrier to prayer in our homes is passivity. Passivity. Passivity is inactivity. It's spiritual laziness. You can have no desire or no purpose or no plan for spiritual growth, and that's passivity. It's spiritual laziness. And when we are spiritually passive, we are not operating in the spiritual authority that God has given us 
as followers of Christ. In the book of the Revelation, we see Jesus rebuking the church of, of Laodicea. I love what he says here because it's a big warning to all of us. He said, I, I know all the things you do. You're not hot. You're not cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, you're not hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Friends, being spit out of the mouth of Jesus is not where you want to be. Fred and I are foodies. We, we love good food. And, and uh, I, I remember we, we were in Mississippi doing an event last summer, and, and we went out and we got a good steak together, and that thing came out piping hot, and it was good. But if that thing had come out lukewarm, you know, it just would not have had the same impact, right? <laughs> it wouldn't have been the same. This is like what Jesus is saying. I, I don't want you to be lukewarm steak. I want you to be hot or cold. And if, if you're just bland, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You see, the church in Laodicea was, was completely comfortable with where they were at. They had grown passive and unconcerned with the things around them, unconcerned with spiritual realities. We don't need more spectators in the church. We need more participators. And this is what Jesus is addressing here. When it, when it becomes easier to come home and, and turn on Netflix and chill than it does to actually engage with the people around you, my friends, I want to warn you, something is wrong. passivity. I can't tell you how many church leaders I've met that, that can plan for their churches and have this great spiritual formation process ready for their churches and, and 21 days of this and 40 days of that and they've got a great plan for their church and no spiritual formation plan for their own families. It's not God's place. So God calls us out of passivity into kingdom activity. There is no room for passivity in the kingdom of God. None. The fourth common barrier to prayer as we build our house of prayer is pride. It's pride. You see, spouses can often feel it as though the other spouse in the marriage doesn't have anything to offer them spiritually isn't as, as good at them uh, at following Christ. As parents, we can often think our children really have nothing of value to add to the spiritual atmosphere in our homes. That's all rooted in pride. It's all rooted in pride. And, and I thank God that I hear him through my children. I've heard God so much through my three daughters. See, the Holy Spirit is not a respecter of gender. The Holy Spirit is not a respecter of age. There is no junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit in me is the same Holy Spirit in my 11-year-old, my 7-year-old, my 3-year-old. And I thank God that I can hear Him, His voice through them. I thank God there's times where I've been talking with them and, and like they'll just say something and I think, oh, that was like, incredibly profound 
I don't even know it. I want to speak specifically to men on this matter. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way you as husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of you. She is God's equal, equal partner in God's gift of new life. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. But she is your equal partner. Husbands, your wife can be your greatest intercessor if you're left. She can be your greatest ministry partner, your greatest counselor. She can be your greatest partner on all areas of life if you'll let her and if you'll trust her. A few years ago, God just rocked me in this and I was spending time with the Lord and, and I just put before the Lord, I just asked him, I, I, I wrote the question out, literally wrote the question out in my journal. I said, Father, what do you want to say to me about Karen? What do you want to say to me about Karen? I just sat there for a minute and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just said, she has influence in heaven. And I lost it. I mean, I hit the ground and I began to repent and weep. She has influence in heaven. Because you know what happened in that moment? First of all, pride broke. Second of all, I realized what a powerful woman she is. For the father to say, my wife has influence in heaven, totally elevated my value of her. Number prayer partnership. Now that we've talked about some of the common barriers to prayer, let's talk about some of the benefits of overcoming those barriers, of getting even a little uncomfortable in our prayer lives and building this house of prayer. Because when we work through that, we're going to see some incredible benefits. And I want to give us four very quick benefits to actually praying together and building this house of prayer. First, you'll experience the power of agreement. You'll experience the power of agreement. I love this. Jesus said in Matthew 18, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, again, let me say that really clearly, if two of you agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Friends, this is not theoretical presence. This is not theological presence. This is not omnipresence or everywhere presence. This is the manifest presence of God that is promised for those who will come together, for those who will agree together. And how, what better place do we have than in the middle of our homes where two people are already gathered to see the power and promise of this scripture come to life. Quick way to secure answers to prayers, pray in agreement. I don't need a lot of people, but I do need the right people. And I know my wife is one of the right people. Amen. 
I remember when God began to get a hold of me on this years and years ago. I mean, it was probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago. My wife's a teacher. We were living in Birmingham. And I remember uh, she was about to start her school year. And she, <laughs> she was dreading it. Like, she was just thinking, oh, every year is just such a disaster when we start school. There's so many problems, so many issues at this particular school. And it's like, oh, I just dreaded all the teachers dreaded it. And I said, well, you know what? Let's go to the school and let's just pray together. Let's just pray. Let's agree together there and see what God wants to do. So we, we drove her to school. We, we prayed in her classroom in the hallway. And we just asked, Lord, we want to see you do something different this year. We want, to, we want to see your glory and your kingdom come in this place. We want to see peace here this year. So the first day of school comes, and, and I'm just like pumped because I know God's going to do something. And she comes home. And I said, well, how'd I go? I went with the lights. She was like, <laughs> I was like, well, what, what do you mean? It was good. What, what, come on, give me something more than that. She goes, well, you know, in my class, it was great. And everything went well. I'm not real sure about what else happened. And I said, God, that's, that's just not good enough. I need more than that. I said, Lord, we want to we know that there was a significant difference that took place this year. And, and after three days, she comes home. I kind of forgot about it. She comes home all excited holding this piece of paper. She goes, look, look, look at this. Read this, read this. The principal put this in every teacher's mailbox. I started reading it, and, and it starts off just saying, congratulations, teachers. I want you to know that this has been the best start to a school year we have ever experienced in our history at Centertown Elementary. I, I thought, oh, God, you are the God who answers when we agree together. Yes. The second benefit we experience is we pray together, build this house of prayers, we'll experience the power of blessing. The power of blessing. God is a God of blessing. We see that theme run from Genesis to Revelation. He is a God of blessing. You know what blessing means? It means to empower for success. It means to empower someone for success. We can bless our children. We can bless our spouse. Stephen alluded to this earlier. We can have a blessed fest. You know how you communicate blessing? There's really three primary ways. Through our words, through our touch, and through our expressions. You see, if I, if I came to Dan right now, and I, I just put my hand on his shoulder and said, Dan, I'm so proud of you, man. I love what you and Angela have committed your life to, and, and with Envision and in Clarkston. I love that you, you've sacrificed so much. It's such an example to me. You're modeling life and, and, and evangelism and kingdom advancement to your children. That's a blessing, right? Yeah. I'm speaking words of life to them. There's something that comes alive in them when those words are spoken. Yeah. But if, if, I, if I look at Donna and I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, no. that, that does nothing. There's something that dies inside of us. How often am I guilty of this, even with my children? You know, the dad look, right? Oh, we, we turn that mirror and we look into the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you all know the dad look. Don't even tell me. Everybody has gotten the dad look at some point in life. That's not bringing life. That's not bringing blessing. 
And so we have an opportunity when we build this house of prayer to experience the power of blessing. I love what Paul says in Romans 15, 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. You see, what I want you to understand right here is that there is a full measure of the blessing of Christ. There's also a partial measure. I don't want the partial measure of the blessing of Christ. I don't want you to have a third measure of the blessing of Christ. I want us to have the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Even when I was driving here today, I was saying, Lord, I want to come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Not a little bit, not halfway, not even two-thirds. I want it all. We can have it all in our homes. The third benefit of praying together and building this house of prayer is that we'll experience new power in our own prayer life, in our own personal prayer life. I read this verse a minute ago, but I want to read it again because there's a part I left off intentionally. It's 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your lives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. Remember I said the equal partner in the gift of life. Listen, here's the part I want you to hear in this. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Woo! Woo! Let me make sure I... Read that right. I've got to treat my spouse as an equal partner. I've got to, I've got to respect them in this gift of life God's given us. So, is that really what it's? So that nothing will hinder my prayers. See, what I want you to understand is that the quality of your marriage can affect the quality of your prayer life. Uh oh. The quality of your marriage can affect the quality of your prayer lives. And I got to tell you, I've experienced this one. I actually regularly experience this one. And I know if I'm not getting traction in heaven, I know if, if God's not responding, something's wrong. This is one of my checks. As I run down my list, is there sin? Is there ungodliness? Is there complacency? Is there division? in my marriage. The quality of your marriage can affect the quality of your prayer life. And God wants us to enjoy incredible prayer life. The fourth and final benefit we have as we build this house of prayers that will set a powerful example. We'll set a powerful example for our children, for our extended family members and for others. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 4, do not anger your children, but raise them up in the discipline and in the teaching of our Lord. And one of the disciplines of faith that all of our children need to see and experience is the discipline of prayer. Why? Because today our kids are lacking examples. They're lacking examples, and kids will run to the greatest power source. This is why so many kids are running to the occult. Do your research. Almost every Disney movie has some occultic theme running behind it because our kids will run to the greatest power source. And I want my kids to see the power of God 
in my life. I thank God for some of the challenges we've faced because they've seen miracles. Mm. As we pray through that. Mm. I remember like a year ago, we pray with our girls individually every night. We pray together every morning. I read something to Audrey. I don't quite remember what it was, something in the scripture. We were laying there in bed. She said, she said, God, Dad, can I hear God? Can I hear God too? And I said, I said, absolutely, baby. Yeah, you can hear God. And then I thought to myself, oh boy, I'm about to go somewhere dangerous. I said, do you want to hear God right now? She said, yeah. I'm thinking to myself, like internally, I'm having this conversation with God, you better do something right now. <laughs> you better speak, because if you don't, man, this is going to be bad. She's going to remember this forever. God, you better show up and show off. So I said, well, let's pray together, baby. And so, so we began to pray, and I just said, we want to hear you. We want to hear you speak. Would you open our ears to hear your voice right now? I said, let's just give God a moment to talk. And I'm sitting there, I'm kind of like looking at her out of the corner of my eye, seeing what's going to happen. After about a minute, this huge smile comes on her face, and I'm like, ooh. And I said, baby, what's going on? Like, what, what are, are you hearing God? She goes, yeah. I said, well, what is he saying? He said, she said, he told me, Audrey, I love you, and I think you're so beautiful. See? Our children are lacking examples. And they need to see, they need to experience, they need to encounter the voice of the Father. When there's 5,000 different voices flooding them every day, they need to learn prayer and intimacy with the Father so they, they can hear the one voice that matters. And this is what happens when we begin to open the door to Christ and to build this house Let's stand here. I want to make a promise to you right now. A promise rooted in this word right here. If you will open this door, Jesus will come in. If you will commit your life to building a house of prayer. God will come. He won't leave you abandoned. I told you last night, one of the most common crises of faith that I see today is disappointment with God. I get that. Some of you have come and you have faced disappointment, unanswered prayers, unfulfilled dreams and visions. And I want to tell you again today, God is big enough to handle your disappointments. And if you will bring those disappointments to him, if you will say, Father, I'm, I'm opening the door again to you right now. Take all my disappointments. Take all of my failures. Take all of the things I, I have not listened to you. I, I know I've, done, I've, I've brought shame. I, I've lived under shame. I've lived under guilt. I'll bring it all to God right now. Let them have it and commit yourself to opening this door to Christ, building this house of prayer, because I promise you, I promise you, he will respond. This is his desire.
So if you're here with your family, I, I just want you, with your spouse or whoever, I, I just want you to link arms right now. If you're not with your family, don't link arms. You can't do that. I don't want to get you. If you're with your spouse, if you're with your family that you're, you're with on a regular basis, just link arms right now. And I just want to lead us in a prayer today. This is taking a step forward. In many ways, when we link arms like this, this is a prophetic declaration of a spiritual inclination. It's a prophetic declaration of what God is doing internally. What God is moving us towards. So we just want to declare that right now. Father, we come to you in the powerful name of Jesus. We thank you for leading us to this moment where we have an opportunity to commit ourselves to opening the door to Christ. Jesus, we say to you right now, we hear you knocking. We hear you knocking. You said, if anyone hears my voice, that means you're speaking. You're not just even knocking. You're actually like, hello, hello. We hear you, Jesus. We hear you right now. And we loudly say, come in. Come in. Come in, Lord. Just say that right now where you're at. Come in, Jesus. Come in, Jesus. Come in, Jesus. I welcome you to my space. You are free to displace and move around anything you want to. You're free to rearrange the furniture. You're free to clean out the closets. You're free to change my diet at the table of fellowship. Some of us have an unhealthy diet. He's ready to change it. You're free to do what you want to do. I say to you, Jesus, you're not a guest in my house. You are the owner of the house. You're the steward of the house. You're the builder of the house. So come in and take dominion right now. Say that to the Lord. Take dominion. Take dominion. Take dominion. Take dominion. Take dominion over my marriage. Take dominion over my children. Take dominion over my siblings. Take dominion over my parents. Take dominion over my, my, my extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. Take dominion. Take dominion. Take dominion. Oh, Jesus. We open the door. Hallelujah. We open the door.